You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I was just about to start recording, and fortunately there was a little tiny hiccup, and I tried to get that fixed, and bing, bang, boom, the Packers apparently are about to sign their um, new defensive coordinator. Although for some reason, the thing I just quote tweeted has been deleted, <laughs> so now I'm getting nervous. Oh, maybe he just edited it. Because, oh, nope, it's gone. Page doesn't exist. What the heck are we talking about here? Well, everybody's running with it, so I'm going to keep running with it. So apparently the new defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers is somebody that was completely off the radar. So I, I it sounds to me that a lot of the reports that came out were just flat out incorrect. Might as well start with this just so I can at least start closing some freaking tabs here because it's getting a little bit out of control. Um, this was reported by, uh, Matt Schneidman, basically. It was a, on a show, I don't know, Green and Gold Draft Report, something. I'll tell you what, this whole thing get flipped upside down to Christian Parker's the next defensive coordinator. Oh, he, totally. he could, what, and, and he could be, but that doesn't make what was reported true. That's a good point, man. I mean, that both can be true, yeah. It also might not make it false, as I was about to get into. How, I, but, but there has been there. This has been done before. In the I'm NFL. telling you, it's not true. What was reported? I'm telling you, it's not true. Could they? Could they go through eight? Breaking news. No. It, oh my God. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's refuting a report. It's not breaking news. That me saying a report is not true is not breaking news. Now, if they get through a dozen interviews and say, oh, Christian Parker is a good candidate. Sure. That then those reporters could go back and say, oh, we were right all along. It doesn't mean they were right all along. Now, to be fair, by Monday or even Sunday or kind of by Saturday, it probably should have become apparent to a lot of us that those reports were at least somewhat misguided. But according to Matt Schneidman, who is saying unequivocally that it is 100% false means that he absolutely talked to somebody directly, whether that be Matt LaFleur or Brian Gutekunst or whoever. He just asked the question and the answer was absolutely false. So wherever those guys got their reports, their sources either are bad sources and they need to stop listening to them or they just massively misinterpreted something or whatever. But that was never a thing. Outside of that... um, you know, again, I mean, a lot of the stuff that happened was under the radar. Would you shut up? Badoop, 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 badoop. My good Lord. This is why, see, and I always miss everything that happens on Discord because I close it and I never want it open because it just sits there and goes badoop, 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 badoop all day. And then I close it and it's like, oh, I missed everything that happened. I don't know. Just shut up. I got too much stuff on here that I don't even use that's badooping at me. Anyways, Jeff Haley. So Jeff Haley has been the, um, head coach of Boston College since 2020. So he's been there for four years. To my knowledge, Boston College not necessarily known for being an elite defense, but it's still kind of a um, a little bit of a notch in his cap, I suppose, that he has head coaching experience. It sounds like the Packers are still, you know, you've got a young guy who's technically never been, well, he was defensive coordinator slash DB coach, her co-defensive coordinator for Ohio State, and then a head coach. But, you know, I don't know. He, he hasn't been a 
He's a young guy that's never been an NFL defensive coordinator, but still has like executive experience at pretty high rank. I mean, Ohio State's a big deal, and he's defensive coordinator and then head coach of Boston College. So, so you still have that guy that is going to have the experience necessary, at least for you to trust that he can just take over the defense. I don't need to babysit you. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily the case with a lot of these young guys. I think it's potentially a fear. But, um, you know, again, you look at somebody, or I shouldn't say again, I, five minutes after I concluded yesterday's podcast, I saw on social media, I wish I could remember his name, but he posted about the parallels between Zach Orr and D'Amico Ryans. And obviously, D'Amico Ryans, who followed a very similar path, was very young, was a very successful defensive coordinator, so successful he became a head coach of a team that is now actually quite successful. But the Packers still want a guy with enough experience. He is, let's go through it here. So he's 44 years old. He actually did play a little bit in college as a wide receiver at Siena. Then in uh, 2001, he was a, <laughs> he's a running backs coach for Division Three WPI Engineers, which is the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Got a little New York there at the Institute, but whatever. Then he was a defensive assistant for Albany. Then he was defensive backs coach for Albany. By the way, running back coach for one year, uh, defensive assistant. So that's, again, sort of the analytics stuff, making sure that you understand this and the guys understand stuff, whatever. That was two years. Then he became the DB coach at Albany. That was two years. Then he takes a step up. So that's the other thing. Like he's, He's continually taking step up, steps up. He goes to Pittsburgh and he's a defensive assistant. So now he's doing the analytics side again. Two years later, they make him the DB coach at Pittsburgh. He does that for three years. Then he moves on to be the DB coach of Rutgers, does that for one year before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pick him up. And we'll go through the coaching staff and all that to kind of get a little bit of an idea of his, his the stuff that he's picked up along the way, because that is kind of a big deal. I love Zach Orr. I love what he's done. I love the people that he's been with. But it, it's been a very similar system. And, and that's fine if you love what they do. But the cool thing about a guy like Christian Parker or some of these other guys is that they draw from a lot of different places and a lot of different experience. So 2012, he's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the assistant DB coach. After one year, they promote him to DB coach. So again, just continually rising. Then the Cleveland Browns poach him two years uh, as the DB coach. Then the 49ers from 2016, 17, and 18 is their DB coach. Then he gets an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator at Ohio State. So it's kind of one of those, it's still kind of a step up. He's still trying to ascend. So he gets that DC label. Now, technically, it's co-defensive coordinator slash defensive back, but still, and it's a major program. So 2019, he does that. After one year, Boston College hires him to be a head coach. And now that is essentially a stepping stone, although you could maybe see it as going backwards or whatever, but you kind of two-step forward, one-step back kind of thing. Now you get that D.C. job instead of in college, you go to a defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Now, from there, you know, is he going to be looking for a head coaching? I'm sure he is. Maybe he gets like a head coaching job for a a major college program or something, and he does that, or he, you know, whatever. But um, I do like the fact that he is continually ascending. He is continually learning. He's continually growing and people want him. They want him to take the next step. They're rewarded for taking that next step. And so they give him another step. Again, that was sort of my issue with what's his name over in Baltimore, where it's like, cool, but you've been a DB coach for like 12 years, bro. Like that's all you've ever done. You've never got any other job title until like this past year where you finally got, or like you got it and then you went back again and then you got it and you went, there's no growth here. 
Now, some of this stuff is going to be out of order because there's so much information flooding in. I'm just going to grab it and give it to you, and then I'm going to try to go back to being, you know, doing things in a way that makes sense. But I, it's just sitting here, so I'm going to give it to you. This is from Lily Zhao. Uh, she posted this. I don't exactly know from where, but it says, One of college football's top defensive minds, Halfley's defensive ranked third nationally in passing yards allowed, 173.5 per game, during the 2021 season. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I listen, if he has a reputation for being one of the top defensive minds, that's awesome. And I bet he does because I'm surprised the Packers went back into the college ranks. Granted, he's got NFL experience, but you know, that's what they want. They want a top defensive mind. Cool. But the statistic here is really reaching third place in passing yards allowed three years ago. <laughs> I mean, cool. It says the Eagles were also top 30 nationally in six other defensive categories. Total defense, red zone defense, first down allowed, third down percentage, team passing efficiency, and touchdowns. Let me look at 2021 here because the, the only thing I did really quickly, I just went over to PFF and I just looked at who had the highest graded defenses. And this past year, they were ranked 97th. But let me just real quick, and, and it's hard to, to kind of grade and rank things in college more so than it is in the pros, but it's just like a quick reference. I just want to see 2021. Where is Boston College? So they were 31st. So that's obviously pretty high considering, you know, what you're up against. And, and you know, again, another thing we're going to do, look at who the players are. Who are the players in those in those teams in which they were uh, in the NFL and how did they perform? And same thing with, you know, at Boston College and at Ohio State, who are the guys? How did they do? I mean, obviously he got one year as a co-defensive coordinator and he got snapped up as a head coach. It must have gone pretty well. I know Jake, uh, Jake Shavink was, we kind of quickly jumped in the Discord I spent about two seconds seeing what people had to say, and I'm like, all right, I got to start the podcast. <laughs> so I'm sure as they maybe trickle in some information, I'll try to grab it uh, as we go here. But um, I just, I, 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 I don't know. If I was smart, I'd like to spend a lot of time combing through stuff, but I got I to gotta get into it. I'm just, I'm excited and I'm fired up and I'm ready to go. So we're going to discover some stuff together. All right, so we've learned that 2021 was like the year that um, was really great statistically. But again, that... that Wisconsin was like third that year. So again, the Jim Leonard is still sitting there and I'm sure there are other options of guys that, you know, you can probably find guys in 2023 with high ranked defenses. If that was the goal, I don't think this is the goal. I think the goal is the first sentence. He's one of college football's top defensive minds. All right. Anyway, she posted a second part here. It says prior to taking over as head coach to Boston college, Halfley led a dramatic turnaround in leading the defense for Ohio state as the Buckeyes won the tour. I should be asking JJ about this guy. What am I doing? For Ohio State, as the Buckeyes won the 2019 Big Ten Championship and qualified for a college football playoff. Then it says, a finalist for the Frank Broyles Award and the 24-7 Sports Defensive Coordinator of the Year, Halfley was one of the architects of the Buckeyes defense that ranked first nationally in yards per play, second nationally in total defense, third nationally in scoring defense, third nationally in sacks, seventh nationally in rushing defense, second nationally in passing yards allowed, and first nationally in red zone defense. And again, when he got snapped up to be a head coach, and maybe the other guy did too, I don't know, you have to assume, similar to like when you hear reports about Zach Orr, that he's the guy that's in the D.C.'s ear. So you look at his title and you say, he's nothing. It might be a little harsh, but you just you, you assume he's like five guys down the, the pecking order. Um, same with Christian Parker. Now, he might be like three guys because he's the DB coach, but I wouldn't expect him to be up near the top. Turns out he's like the guy. He is like the co-captain, the co-pilot of the ship. Um, 
but you don't know that until you find out these things. So apparently, at least what I'm trying to put together here, it seems as though that it was assumed this guy was, if not the architect, he was a major part of what happened. And so they, you know, again, decided to snap him up. So just a couple nuggets again. We'll get get back to it. I'm just scrolling here. But um, you got a quote here from Aaron Nagler. It says, love press man. Got to be able to play press man. Have to be able to. <laughs> this from an article, which I will be diving into a little bit. But um, for everybody that wanted press man. And of course, Peter Bukowski quote tweeted it with something that should have stood out. Jeff Okuda was a unanimous All-American in 2019 under Halfley doing it. Which, you know, something else to think about. Jeff Okuda was like one of the most elite corners we've seen. Like he was just, he was unbelievable, right? What happened when he came into the NFL? He fell apart. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Halfley was like the, the, the most brilliant person in the world that made him as good as he was. He was only there for a year, whatever. But it's just, I'm just saying, it worked really well, whatever they were doing in college. And then he tried to come here and do it. And they, they couldn't get that same thing out of him. But all right, let's get back to this a little bit here. Um, kind of go through this a little bit more methodically. Let's start from the beginning. So I can't find a ton about um, Albany. I got a little bit of information, but it's nothing super interesting anyways. And I can't imagine that. I mean, I'm sure he learned plenty as the defensive assistant and DB coach there, but uh, I can't imagine it's going to weigh as heavily as some of the other experience. So I'm not worried about digging too deep into it. But 2006 through 2010, he was at Pitt. Defensive assistant until 2007, and the rest was DB coach. You know what I freaking love about that? Do you know who the coach was? Dave freaking Wanstead. You know, it's it's actually funny because it, it, it sounds like one of those, oh, you don't care about Wanstead. You're just finding reason. Bro, I have talked about Dave Wanstead on this show. I have bragged about Dave Wanstead. I have talked, you know how I know about Dave Wanstead? Because he's still in Bears media. So when we do Laughing at the Enemy, Dave Wanstead is on there. So I've watched a lot of Dave Wanstead even since then. I love Dave Wanstead because he is classic old school 90s football. Dude is like Chicago born and bred. I don't care if he's actually from Pitt or where he's from. That guy is, is a Chicagoan. The way he talks, he's got the big mustache to this day. He's got the, the hairstyle that my dad still has to this day, which is like the, the dark jet black hair parted right down the middle, the big old mustache. And, he, he, you know, one of the things that I've talked about a couple times, maybe you re, you'll remember, jog your memory, but he talks about how guys don't practice goal line anymore. That's why that tush push thing is working so much because it used to be a thing of pride. It's about getting low. And we used to drill that. We, you know, back in the day when we were doing two a days or whatever, you talk about we we'd go out and we'd we'd get on the goal line. And that was like the end of practice thing. And it was a it was a point of pride. You get low and you don't let them get a freaking inch. And he said teams don't do that anymore. I I love that. I love that mentality. So I'm not making it up. I've talked about it on the show. Then after Dave Wanstead uh left Pittsburgh, he ended up leaving. He got picked up by Rutgers. Head coach at Rutgers at the time, another name that you probably know, Greg Schiano. Maybe you don't, I don't know. But Schiano was also a DB coach. He was a um, assistant at Rutgers, assistant at uh, Penn State, then he was a DB coach at Penn State, then he was the Chicago Bears defensive assistant, Chicago Bears DB coach, the Miami defensive coordinator, not, uh, that's college. Then he was the Rutgers head coach, Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach, 2012 and 2013. That's where you might remember him. Then he was the Ohio State assistant head coach slash defensive coordinator, 2016, 17, and 18, and then 2020 through the present Rutgers. So this is the guy that he worked under as a DB coach at Rutgers. The defensive coordinator there was Bob Frazier. The very next year, after being the defensive coordinator at Rutgers, he went on to be a linebackers coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
and then assistant defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Now, some of the names that you might remember uh, that were DBs at Rutgers in 2011, maybe most notably, is safety Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan ended up getting drafted in the third round um, by the New England Patriots. He's still, I believe, still in the NFL today. He played for the San Francisco 49ers. Well, I, I mean, of course he still plays. He's going to the freaking Super Bowl. I don't know his role anymore, but he played against Detroit, so he's probably going to be playing in the Super Bowl. So Logan Ryan was initially coached in college by Jeff Halfley. After that, it gets a little bit easier because not only are we starting to get into more modern teams, we're also getting into bigger teams. And most notably, in 2012, he got hired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the assistant DB coach. Now, pretty cool. Got some names here. Guys that he coached, most notably, Rondé Barber. And again, I can't say specifically that Jeff Halfley was like the, the, the reason everything went great. But Rondé Barber really had four good years if you're going by PFF. 71, 77, 75, and 79. They're all kind of spread out. Uh, the rookie year was one of them, and he didn't play very much, so I guess you can kind of say there were three. 2007 was a 77. 2010 was a 75. 2011, he completely dropped off. And then 2012 was his best year ever, and by far his best coverage year with an 82 PFF grade. Now, he's just the assistant DB coach, but even if, let's just say it's not Halfley that did it. Okay, that's fine. Oh man, this is funny. <laughs> so, so this actually happens a lot. You wonder how they kind of bounce around from here to there or whatever. So he got his job in Tampa because Greg Schiano took the Tampa Bay job. I didn't put that together when I read his credentials or whatever. And you know who he took over for? Raheem Morris, which just seems crazy to me. Raheem Morris was the head coach in 2011 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Greg Schiano comes in. So again, let's just say 2012, it wasn't really him that did it. Fine, but you know who really did help? Guys like Greg Schiano, defensive coordinator Bill Sheridan. And so whatever it was that this new regime brought in, by the way, that was his last year in the NFL in 2012, whatever it was that this new regime brought in, it got the absolute best out of Rondé Barber as in his best year ever. So again, leave him out of it. He's had some really good guys to learn from. Greg Schiano being a big one, obviously. And, and again, I love it when a guy like Greg Schiano gets hired away, right? He gets pulled up from the coaching ranks. He gets plopped into a big role. What does he do? He reaches, reaches down and grabs some young, ascending, ascending, talented guys. Now, it's not a major role, but he wanted Jeff Halfley to come in with him and help him coach the DBs. And the DB coach was also a college guy. Now, this guy is actually really interesting. So, so he spent at least a year, and we'll find out as we weave through this web of, of stuff. Sometimes these paths cross again. He worked under Ron Cooper. So again, the, the hierarchy here, Greg Schiano, top dog, likes Halfley, wanted to give him an opportunity. So he hires him. He's assistant DB coach. The next in line defensively is Bill Sheridan, the defensive coordinator. Then underneath that, you have a guy by the name of Ron Cooper, and he's the secondary coach. And so essentially, you're his assistant. Ron Cooper's been around a while. He is 61 years old as of right now. He started coaching as an assistant in 1983 at App State. He got his first defensive coordinator job at Murray State in 1987. So basically, like right after I was born, he was a defensive coordinator at UNLV in 1990, moved up to Notre Dame as an assistant in the 90s. Eastern Michigan, Louisville, Alabama A&M. Then he was the Wisconsin DB coach in 2002. 
then Mississippi State's defensive coordinator in 2003, South Carolina DB coach in 2004. Then he did outside linebackers and special teams at South Carolina, assistant head coach slash DB at South Carolina, safeties coach at South Carolina, then DB coach at LSU for, what, three years? And then he goes on, then he gets plucked out of that to go to Tampa Bay. That's the only time he ever went to the NFL. He followed Shiano over there because Shiano wanted to grab him and pull him in and help him with his DBs, and essentially to work as the overstudy, Not I don't know if that's a thing, for Je- with with Jeff Halfley, and they were going to work on these DBs, and they did a fantastic job. Obviously, at least with Rondé Barber, they did. I don't I don't know about the rest, but uh, some of the other guys, if if you remember them, I don't. Mark Barron, EJ Biggers, Leonard Johnson, Eric Wright, Ahmad Black. I don't I don't know, but Rondé was kind of the dude. So okay, so so again, you're still under Shiano uh, at, at this point. Obviously, this is your biggest influence. Um, You've worked under him. You've worked, obviously, closely enough with him. You've made an impression on him. He's trying to really grow you and, and bring you into the fold. He's bringing in guys to, to, I mean, obviously, it's not just for the purpose of grooming you, but it, it has that effect as well. So this is your, this this is where you're at. And we'll, we'll dive back into kind of what these people believe. I'm going to do my best, but I just want to kind of run through the timeline real fa- fast because I find it freaking fascinating. I hope you do too, because I love this stuff. Wish we hired coaches like every week. So then, <laughs> this is freaking amazing. I love this so much. 2013, he gets promoted to DB coach. So after one year of being the assistant DB coach, bing, bang, boom, you're the guy. Ron Cooper gets the job at South Florida to be the assistant head coach slash DB coach. Whether he got let go or wanted to take the assistant head coaching job, thinking it was a big thing, whatever, um, he takes that, and essentially that leads the way for Halfley to get promoted. And the goal here, and I'll, I'll just kind of peek into this because, again, there's a lot of overlap with some of this stuff where every coach is just like, oh, they want to be this and they want to be that. But his goal really was to be more aggressive and more opportunistic, right? Get the freaking ball. But again, you got Shiano in 2013. You have Bill Sheridan underneath him. The defensive line coach was Randy Melvin, linebackers coach, Bob Frazier. Remember Bob Frazier? We talked about him back in Rutgers. So he went from the D.C. there, comes to the NFL. He's now the linebackers coach. And Jeff Halfley is now basically on par, possibly even ahead. When you look at being a secondary coach compared to the linebackers coach, you have potentially now surpassed and are working as a peer with who was your defensive coordinator when you were the DB coach. Now you're collaborating with him as equals. That's pretty freaking cool. The other thing I love about it, you know who the special teams coach was that was brought in? Dave freaking Wanstead. <laughs> Oh, I love this stuff. Now, the team sucked. They, they went from, uh, let's see, they were 4-12 and 12 with Raheem Morris. They bring in Greg Schiano, they go to 7-9, and nine, right? Okay, it's a little bit of an improvement. We still suck. In 2013, they go down to 4-12. and 12. It didn't work. Now, the defense did improve, and most notably, they were actually really good at picks, which was his number one goal. So in 20, um, 2011, which is the year before this crew showed up, the uh, Buccaneers were 20th in interceptions, which is, you know, the, the specifically not fumble recoveries, but passes that are picked off. In 2012, that very first year, they go to eighth place and then the next year, third place. So a lot of things weren't necessarily working. The defense ranked 21st, 17th in yard. The passing did get a little bit better that first year. It was real rough as far as like the, the pass defense goes, but they did become you know, 17th in yards, 27th in touchdowns, 21st in net yards per attempt, which is not really good. A lot of things weren't working. 
But the one thing that apparently they were tasked to do was to, to be aggressive and take the ball away. They jumped from, what did I say? Whatever it was to, I think, seventh to third or something. I'm not going back. And they did that while losing Rondé Barber, who was like their guy, you know? But who did they have? Well, in 2013, they had Darrell Rivas. So another awesome name that he got to work with, got to coach. Did Darrell Rivas have some kind of a massive spike? No, he just, he was like a mercenary. He just went from team to team and just dominated everywhere. And Tampa Bay was really no different. What the heck was that noise? Alexa with the announcements. Oh my goodness. But again, very cool that, um, so you got that on the resume as well. Like, you know, coach Darrell Rivas with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, in 2013 and helped improve their defense in terms of turnovers freaking dramatically. And interestingly enough, it wasn't like, well, yeah, Darrell Rivas got all the picks. He didn't. He got two. So just from the DBs, what? You had Deshaun Goldson, who had one pick. Leonard Johnson had one pick. This is just DBs. It's not linebackers or anything else. This is just guys that would have been under the tutelage of Halfley. I have to keep looking up because I forget the guy's name. Then you had Darrell Rivas, who had two. Mark Barron had two. Keith Tandy, the safety, had three. And Jonathan Banks had three. So the the team that led in picks didn't really have a guy that had like some, you know, he had eight picks or something crazy. It was pretty evenly distributed among six different guys. For reference, our DBs, there were six different guys, but all of them just had one with the exception of Rudy Ford who had two. Just for reference. Man, I don't want to take a break, but we should probably take a break. Um, so let's do that. <laughs> let's take a break and we'll be right back and we'll just continue on with what we're doing. Kind of run through the timeline. I want to go back to social media, kind of see what nuggets have been drug up. I want to try to dig up some myself. And then kind of what I want to end with is, okay, so th these are in his influences. What does that mean? And I know that this is probably going to be really dug into by a lot of people. I know everybody's out there. They're watching Boston College tape. They're going back to Ohio State and watching that tape. So we'll, we'll get even more detail from some of the, I mean, I'm going to watch it too, but I, you know, from people that know what they're looking at, kind of get their assessment on things. But either way, I mean, it's just good to kind of watch it. I did the same thing with Baltimore when I watched that game. It's like, okay, so if this is our defense, what does it look like? And you just kind of get a feel for what they do. I mean, the one thing, if anything, that Baltimore got me excited about is they freaking hit people. But we don't need to worry about that because we're not getting a Baltimore guy. But you know what I mean? Like, you just get a, a feel for it in general. Are they pressing or are they playing off? Are they playing man? Are they playing zone? Are they playing aggressive? Are they instinctive? Are they, you know, opportunistic? You know, are they, you know, from, from a very schematic standpoint? I don't freaking know, dude. That's cover three, under, over, robber, joker, rover. I mean, freaking sweet, dude. Anyways, let's take a break. I just saw depressing news. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So, again, a lot of news coming in. Who knows? Freaking whatever. But um, college football senior writer for ESPN, Peter Thamel, he's the guy who kind of broke this thing anyways. This is from Zach Cruz. He says, some or all of Packers' current assistant defensive coaches could return under Jeff Halfley. Now, I hate that freaking phrasing because it doesn't mean anything. All of the coaches or some of the coaches could return. Oh, you mean so some or all could not return? Like what the what the freaking are we talking about here? Make a statement. Make a statement and stand on it. Some or all will return, are likely to return, could return. No kidding, could I could tell you that. My son could go to Harvard. I, I you know, I don't freaking know. Probably not. Hopefully not. I don't know. Anyways, then he continues, also says Halfley is a longtime friend of Matt LaFleur. Those are two things I did not want to freaking hear. I just didn't want to hear it, man. I just, I don't want to hear this bull crap. Again, it's not to say he doesn't have friends that are really good and really talented and really qualified that can do the job. The problem is, if we narrow this crap down to just your friends, the likelihood that the absolute best candidate is going to be on that list are very freaking low. And why isn't he bringing in his own people? There is no way in the world this guy got the job. And what? And what? Why? Like, explain this to me. Explain this to me like I'm freaking three years old, okay? So, you're Matt LaFleur. And maybe everybody else is involved too. I don't know. So, Matt LaFleur comes into this thing, okay? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not understanding, okay? Maybe I'm just a freaking idiot. You're Matt LaFleur. I've said that already. You're interviewing your buddy. And you're like, hey, man, want to be the new defensive coordinator? And he says, yeah, that'd be dope. And he says, cool, because I know you're cool and I want to hang out with you and I want to hang out with my friends. But also you're good at your job, right? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm real good. Okay, great. Oh, and by the way, you don't get to decide who any of your staff are. I want to keep all these guys that haven't done anything. Where is the loyalty coming from? I don't understand. Explain this crap to me. You're telling me that Jair Alexander completely fell off a cliff because we've got DB coaches here that are just killing it. Is that what you're telling me? You're telling me, listen to me, you got Jeff Halfley coming in and he's really good at what he does and he's going to try to implement a very specific scheme that is very different than what we're doing and the guys that are on staff right now are the best at explaining how Jeff Halfley wants things done. What are you talking about? <sighs> I just I just want it to make sense. And again, that, that might be just a bullcrap tweet, just like a lot of bullcrap that we've seen about, oh, it's a done deal with this guy, and everything, oh yeah, everything's done, and we got some guy who wants to come out with breaking news, and he's like, guess what, guys? Breaking news. He might keep some of the guys. Shut your stupid mouth. That's not even a report. You're an idiot. Shut up. I hate that crap. I'm just, I'm ticked off, and I'm a little irrational right now. I'm trying to keep things level-headed, but sometimes I just freaking get pissed off a little bit. 
listen, you have to get this right. So that means everything needs to be perfect. That means we need to expand our search to everybody, not just your friends. And maybe we did that, and congratulations. And by the way, Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy, I'm I'm sorry, but you are involved in this as, in well, as well. It, because if Matt LaFleur has been given total control, which it sounds like he probably was, that's your fault. Because he should not have been given total control. You need to be a, a heavy influence in this. I want, I want, as a fan... To know that Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur all sat down together and concluded together that this was, in fact, the best hire. That would make me feel better tomorrow. I mean, literally tomorrow, because Gutekunst is going to be going and having a press conference and he's going to talk. And maybe he's going to say that and I'm not going to believe him. I don't know. I'm sure Matt LaFleur has a lot of friends. He's got a lot of coaching friends, a lot of people that he knows. Maybe it's going to be hard to find guys that he isn't friends with. And we're going to get to some really cool stuff. Like the fact that this guy worked under Sala, and Sala is like his best friend. So maybe that's how they met and all this stuff. And there's a lot of Sala connections and a lot of different connections with his friends that he could have gone in different directions, and he felt that this was the best one. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but not hiring new staff gives me zero confidence. So I, 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 I'm less concerned with the friend thing, although it kind of annoys me. I wish it wasn't. I wish it was just we scoured the world and we found the best guy. Now, maybe that's what they did. And he just so happens to be very, not just friends, not just acquaintances, but very good friends with Matt LaFleur. That's a hell of a coincidence. But congratulations on always happening to happening to freaking find your friends. I can't find words right now. The not bringing in a new staff thing freaking pisses me off. How many times? We've been doing this for how long now? Should we go back and do it again? Let's just back this freaking train up a second here. 2011 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had Raheem Morris, Greg Olson, Keith Mallard, Alex Van Pelt, quarterback coach, blah, 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 blah. 2012, Greg Schiano comes in. Guess how many names I recognize? Zero! They all got fired. Everyone's out the door, and Schiano built the damn team from the ground up. New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. He went into the college ranks and brought in people from Rutgers. He brought his old defensive coordinator in to be the D.C. coach. He brought in his D.B. coach to be the assistant D.B. coach. He went and got a legendary D.B. coach out of LSU and made him the D.B. coach along with the assistant D.B. coach. He got Dave freaking Wanstead out of the college ranks, I think, to go be your special teams coordinator. He didn't just plop his fat butt in there. He's not even fat, but he didn't just plop his butt in there and go, oh, no, I guess we'll just work with what we got here. No, he built the team that he felt was best to implement the team that he wanted to build. It's not that I don't have Jeff confidence in Jeff Halfley. I have confidence in Jeff Halfley based on his experience. Sounds like a good dude. Sounds like fun, man. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go get up. Nice. I don't have belief that Jeff Halfley is going to be implement a Jeff Halfley defense with guys that don't know anything about a Jeff Halfley defense. And, and I, I, I just, I, I, I can... There's a part of my brain, and I can hear people out there that are like, well, it's not about a Jeff. It's just, you know, a, d- a defensive line coach is a defensive line guy, and if you want them to do this, they can teach them the techniques. Like, it's not that big of a freaking deal. I, I'm so sick of that kind of mentality, this idea that there is no perfect candidate, that there's just a bunch of good candidates, and so why, like, freak out about it? That's the whole big thing now with, with you know, the... I'm so tired of just this 
This idea that there's no such thing as greatness. You're in the freaking NFL and you're going to talk to me about there's no such thing as greatness? Oh, okay, great. Great. So we should probably just take down the freaking banners of Bart Starr and Brett Favre and Aaron because there's no greatness. There's no such thing as great or elite or amazing. There's Shanahan's not great. He's not special. He just freaking happens to be a guy doing a thing and it's kind of working for a little while. There's no such thing as the perfect. You don't need to like get the perfect this that like it doesn't matter, bro. There's just a bunch of good coaches. And so why not get your best friend who's also a good candidate? There's no best coach. There's no best. There's no great candidates. There's just a pile of like good enough candidates. That's such bull crap. And you're going to tell me a defense that underperformed to such a degree that we fired our defensive coordinator, the guys under him who also weren't able to get the players up to where they needed to be. They've earned the right to stay. We got, we got players out there that don't know what they're doing. We've got defensive backs out there that still can't communicate a Joe Barry defense after three years of playing in a Joe Barry defense, and you're telling me that these guys have earned the right to stay despite the fact that they can't get the basics of communication down over three years. We got Kenny Clark playing the worst football of his entire career over the last several years and we got a defensive line coach that's been here since a freaking prehistoric era i i just i don't understand this jerry montgomery we we fired dom capers and jerry montgomery state okay fine you know why because the dude's really really good we had that the only thing good about our defense at the end of the green bay packers dom capers era was the defensive line we had Mike Daniels, who was the only freaking thing on the defense that, that seemed competent at the time. And we had an ascending Kenny Clark, who was a superstar. So they actually promoted him from defensive front assistant to defensive line coach. Fine. Mike Pettin says, fine, we'll keep the guy. He looks good. Then everything starts to go south. We lose our defensive lineman. Kenny Clark starts to, to dip in his production. And nobody, nobody gets better. Nobody does a damn thing better. We got a bunch of guys not doing jack squat. Mike Pettin gets fired. We bring in a new guy. He gets promoted to defensive line coach and run game coordinator. Run ga- He's the run game coordinator on a team that hasn't been able to stop the run since 97. He's not responsible for the run game? I'm sorry, I thought we weren't good at stopping the run. I mean, for crying out loud, the only thing that may be as good is Devontae Wyatt became a good pass rusher. That's awesome. You know what he can't do? Stop the run! Well, that's not very nice. He's a, he's a human being. He need, he'll get a job. And guess what? I'm not advocating for a guy to get fired. I'm advocating for someone to get hired. I want some young, promising, talented young guy who is very familiar with not just the scheme, but the attitude of a Jeff Halfley defense to be hired into the position of defensive line coach and run game coordinator. I want to transform that young man's life for the better. I want to give them a massive promotion because they've earned it and give them a massive paycheck. That's what I want to do. You want Jerry Montgomery to stay because you think it's not very nice. And that young, talented guy that's put in a ton of work and can actually get the freaking job done, he needs to stay down there making $42,000 a year. That's what you want. That's the nicer thing to do. Shut the hell up with this crap. I'm so sick of the, oh, that's not nice. He's going to get fired. Somebody else is going to take that job. Somebody's going to have it, and everybody else is going to not have it. I want the guy to have it that gets the giant paycheck to do that job, to be a guy that's good at doing that job. Somebody sell me on Ryan Downard. We got a DB coach coming in here. 
I'll, I'll leave Jerry Montgomery alone. We got a DB coach coming in here. He's really good with defensive backs. It's his whole thing, okay? He's going to come in and be like, yeah, Downard is the dude. L- let, me, let me ask you something real quick. 2022, what, what was the worst part about our entire team in 2022? Do you remember? Do you remember there was a position group that I think the Packers had in which they had like the worst players in the entire NFL. I'm trying to remember what it was again. Oh boy, I'm struggling here. Oh, I know what it was. Darnell Savage had a 47 PFF grade and Adrian freaking Amos had a 53 PFF grade. Shockingly terrible. Amos has never been anything but good. And Savage, who hasn't been great, but he actually like, you know, remember under Patton, like things were good and then they got better. And then I don't know, like Joe Barry came in and it got worse. And then in 2022 is when it absolutely bottomed out. Who was the safety coach in 2022? Oh, I know. It's Ryan Downard. And then he got promoted. He got promoted. Ah! Oh. I'm sitting here trying to figure out why our defense doesn't work. Oh. I need a minute, man. I need a freaking minute. He gets promoted to defensive backs coach. So now he's not just safeties, he's safeties and corners. And I had to spend the entire freaking year trying to convince people that Jair isn't bad because everybody wanted Jair gone because he's not that freaking good. Because you know what? He kind of struggled a little bit this year. Ryan Downer took over not just the safeties, but the freaking corners, and Jair also struggled. Man, we've got so many first-round picks. The amount of value that we have and, and the amount of value that I know that they can show. Eric Stokes, I know he can be a, a significantly better. Like He had a solid rookie year. He was garbage this year. And I, I know that's a little bit unfair because he was injured the whole year and then he came back, whatever. Fine. It's just, there's nothing here, man. We're not getting what we can get out of these guys. Jair was not as good as he should have been. Stokes, like Savage. I mean, Savage had a, a, a bit of a bounce back year this year, which is nice, but I know what we can have with Savage and Jair and Stokes. And even if maybe Stokes can't be like elite, I don't know what he can be. I know he can be a hell of a lot better than what everybody seems to think he is and and probably better than what he can be with the current coaching situation. And I'm sorry, I just don't give a crap if that doesn't sound very nice. I mean, what, 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 what purpose does this serve of sitting here and trying to evaluate things if I'm not allowed to look at the fact that the coaches that we have seem to be driving our team in the exact wrong direction. And the fact that a lot of these guys have survived through two, if not three different defensive coordinators and never seem to get let go. And, and, and for some reason, they all seem to get promoted for nothing. Guy gets promoted. New, he goes from quality control to assistant DB coach. He gets promoted to safeties coach. The safeties are atrocious. He gets promoted to DB coach. The DBs massively underperform. They don't know how to communicate. They're constantly confused. Surprised we didn't make him the defensive coordinator. Maybe he's not good enough buddies with, with freaking Matt LaFleur. I don't know. I, I just, I listen, I don't want to sit here and be cynical, but what are you giving me to work with, Matt LaFleur? What the hell are we doing? Oh, I, I need to figure out if there's any more to vent. JJ got back to me and he is, he is so geeked out about this hire. So he's really, really happy, which I, I was, I'm hoping. He said basically they were all devastated when he left. So I look forward to hearing about that. I'm I'm just, just pissed about that report. Here's what um, Soren Sodergren said on social media. He's had a lot of good stuff lately. I, I just keep seeing him, and he's posting stuff. But um, he says, more on Jeff Harley in Ohio State. 
Don't think that's his name, but that's fine. I'm, I'm struggling with his name too. It says, when Halfley first arrived at Ohio, Ohio State, you could tell instantly that he, had, he had the it factor. We talk all the time about how important it is for assistants who want to be head coaches to illustrate a certain personality or savviness. 100% agree. With the way he communicate, with the way they communicate, and Halfley exemplifies that more than any assistant the Buckeyes have had for the last 10 years. Holy crap. He's a young, sharp, and very outgoing personality that's not only was a very likable person, but his swag was also backed up by how he helped turn around the defense. Um, all right, so there's a bunch of clips of him talking, and I see he also posted one of Richard Sherman on Jeff Halfley, which is great, and I can't wait. I, I will say I'm a little bit worn out on the whole freaking swag thing. Now, this is coming from Ohio State. This isn't like the Packers or whatever. And, and you know, again, J.J.'s talking about he's so geeked out. He was devastated when he left. Glad to have him back. All that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get excited about Halfley. I'm just really pissed about this assistant thing. I hope that report is bullcrap. And if it is, I'm going to go find that guy that wrote in for college, whatever. And I'm just going to be really, really unnecessarily rude. Because I'm sitting here just on a freaking tirade thinking that we're about to ruin a really good opportunity with a really good defensive coordinator because we're going to handcuff him and say, unlike every other coach in the history of the NFL or college or anything else, you're not allowed to touch any of the other assistants because they're freaking blackmailing me. But anyways, I, we heard it with Petten, right? He's got this intensity and he's, he's a bad man. And he's going to bring like a meanness to the defense. Like, a, yeah, I'm excited. And the players were excited. And then Joe Barry was different. Like he's, he's got that swagger. He's like a cool guy. He's like, yeah, what's going on? He's got energy. Like, it's always about this, like, great thing that they bring, this energy that the players are going to love. And we heard that, and it works for, like, five minutes, and then it doesn't work, and then everybody hates everything, and then it just goes downhill. So I like the swag and all that stuff that's cool, but just like everything else. I mean, it, it listen, Petten's swag and Joe Barry's swag could have absolutely worked just like anything else if the defense just worked. They all would have bought in, and it would have just been, like, this whole swag fest, right? So I'm not anti-swag. I'm just kind of tired of hearing about it. Because there's been two times where I'm excited about the kind of energy they bring in and how that's going to interact with the players. And then just the defense sucks and none of that matters. But um, I, I it is great to hear from... And, and that's the thing, man. Like, players are going to... They're, they're going to open up about these guys and they're going to be honest about it. I mean, for example, and maybe I'm wrong, but let, let's, let's just play this clip since it's sitting here. I haven't listened to it yet. Clicking wrong buttons. Okay, we're all set up. Here is uh, Richard Sherman. Hopefully it's a positive thing. I don't even know. Talking about Jeff Halfley. We haven't even gotten through the whole freaking thing in terms of his path, but he was in San Francisco. We'll do this. We'll take a break. We'll go back through and finish. Um, sorry for getting derailed there. I just can't handle that, man. I can't handle that. I can't handle that. I can't handle that. Here's Richard Sherman. We're going back to Halfley. Now you've had a full season to work with him, get to know him, how he operates. Uh, what has impressed you uh, about him? His preparation is, is is some of the best I've seen. You know, I've had some Love great that. defensive back coaches, some great defensive coaches, defensive minds, um, and he's right up there. He's with his preparation and how he breaks down film and how easy and simple he makes the game plan sound and Love that. how easy he makes it for guys to understand. Like, he paints a a very vivid picture of, of what you're going to see. And, and it's all about executing. Like I've, I've tried to explain to you guys over and over, like they, they give us the plays a lot of times. A lot of times they prepare us really well. And it's see, and that was the end of it. But um, I, I, I love the, it, it, you know, we hear about simplification and, you know, this is just kind of like an ebb and flow thing, right? I, I talked about this not too long ago, that it's like 
when when the defense isn't working, everybody wants it to be more simple because it's too complicated. Make it more simple, and then when it's simple and it's not working, well, we we need to we need to like mix it up and throw blitzes at them and all this complicated crap. Um, but th- this is a little bit different. It's not about having a simple defense. It's about doing so much good preparation that essentially the defensive coordinator can come to you and say, "This is what they're going to do." Okay, this guy's going to go here, and when he does, you do this. Okay, just just. He's doing such a great job of doing all the hard work. So you, he does the thinking for you so you don't have to do it on the field. So we can still be complex and multiple while taking a lot of the heavy lifting and thinking off. The, the only thing I keep thinking is I want to keep Savage. I, ju- I just, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have it, but we've seen sparks with Savage. I know the tackling and stuff. People get annoyed with it. Sometimes I think he really lays the wood. It's kind of like Jair. Sometimes they lay the wood. Sometimes it's like, what are you doing? I just feel like there's so much untapped potential. Same with Stokes. Maybe they don't have it. I don't know. I know Jair does. I don't know about Savage. I don't know about Stokes. But we've invested a lot. We know they have really sky-high potential. And if this is true, and it was a lot of just they couldn't mentally get it, it was too complicated, they couldn't figure out what they're seeing on the field compared to what they saw in the film room. If this guy really can do that work, and apparently just teach all of our guys how to do that work, because that's the thing. It's not going to be just him. He can't speak directly to the DBs and everything else. He's the defensive coordinator. So that's going to fall on who? Well, as of right now, that's going to fall on Ryan Downer to be able to do that, which apparently he hasn't up until this point, but freaking whatever. Ugh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Did we even take the second break? I don't think so. Let's take a break. JJ sending me a flurry of messages, so I'm going to let him kind of uh, go through that. Um, again, we're going to run through the rest of his timeline, try to catch up on on some more videos and things that people have to say about him. Uh, again, I, I I don't want that tirade to make you think I'm anti Halfley because I'm not. I'm not like I'm 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 not all in because I don't know that much yet. But um, I'm excited about it. It sounds like it's aggressive. It sounds like he's really talented. It sounds like he's really intelligent. The whole buddy thing makes me a little bit nervous because again, are we sure he's the best? Or is it just like he's like the best of the guys that I kind of... Look, let, let me... We are going to take a break eventually. He, here's the one thing I'll say about knowing a guy really well. It's got to be unbelievably difficult to bring in a guy like Zach Orr and to try to figure out in, let's say, two meetings whether or not this guy has the absolute wealth of knowledge that somebody like Jeff Halfley has. You know, somebody that you know that intimately, as far as his reputation, top to bottom, you know everything, you know, you've talked, I mean, you and Sala talk about this guy all the time, he's one of the best, this, that, you got Richard Sherman, one of the greatest corners in the modern era, right, he doesn't get along great with Packer fans, which is going to be awkward when it's like, hey, Rich, like, what do you think about our new DC, he's like, F you guys, you're mean to me, I'm like, yeah, that's fair, we were mean a little bit, sorry about that, but it would be cool to hear more from Richard Sherman about it. Maybe if we all apologize, he'll say nice things about our defensive coordinator. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We're going to get freaking excited, man, because we got a heck of a defensive coordinator here. This is via Dan Orlovsky. Literally says, heck of a football coach. Packers defense will be much more aggressive. We're going to get him, boys. And we're going to hire a new staff. Or we're going to riot, and I'm not kidding. There might be six of us. And we might wait until it's a little bit warmer so that I can stay out there and not have to be cold. But I will protest. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're back with good news. I'm going to rant for just like 
two more seconds, and then I promise we're going to get back to what I said we're going to get back to like 400 times 20 minutes ago. Remember that whole thing where like the Packers aren't going to fire any of their defensive coordinators and all that stuff? It came from Peter Th- or Pete Thamel, the you know the guy that we talked about. And I, I, listen, I, I can't even be mad at him because he didn't say anything wrong. The problem is people take this and then they tweet it, and it sounds a certain kind of way, which again I already ID'd it as, as being dumb just based on the way it's phrased. But it just the full context wasn't there, and it made it seem like it's something it wasn't. Here is the paragraph from which this this all comes from. It says, the rest of the Packers defensive coaching staff is under contract for the 2024 season, and none of them was let go. Is that how you say that? None of them was let go when Packers parted ways with Barry. So there's a good chance some or all of them could return to work under Halfley. By the way, this is how you know that this was like copy-paste, because it's the exact word-for-word phrasing that was put in the tweet that I saw that, that basically said, good chance some or all of them could return to work under Halfley. You skip the entire first part that that explains that this is pure speculation. By the way, apparently, according to a lot of people, Barry was still under contract. It doesn't freaking matter. You think that that has any bearing on anything? Now, I understand where he's coming from. Where it's like, well, they didn't do it last time. Maybe they won't do it this time. Yeah, fair enough. We get that. That's crazy, and that sucks. But, oh my lord. The fact that they're on, under contract has no bearing whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Coaches get fired all the time. Whether they're under contract is completely irrelevant. That's the dumbest bullcrap thing ever. This idea that, well, they're not under contract, so it's, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Most coaches, when they get fired, are under contract. And that goes for the assistant coaches as well. By the way, let me just elaborate more on the friend thing, because it, it doesn't sound as big of a deal as... Um, it kind of was blown up to be. Let me just read the freaking thing here. This is Green and Gold Draft posted this. He had a completely different point, but I'm just stealing the content here. Same article, Pete whatever from ESPN. The future of the Green Bay Packers proved a significant allure for Halfley as they have a strong young core and bright future. By the way, great point. Probably more speculation, but I like it because the fact of the matter is I think the Packers are a very alluring place to be. It goes on to say he's a longtime friend of Packers coach Matt LaFleur and longtime admirer of the Packers franchise. Now, I don't know where the term, like, they're very good friends came from. Hell, maybe I made that up. I don't know. I'm playing telephone game with myself as I talk in the podcast. They become closer and closer friends. I don't know. But longtime friend could mean a lot of things, including acquaintance. Let me continue. He'll replace Joe Barry and be the third defensive coordinator as LaFleur enters his sixth year as the franchise's head coach. It says, while LaFleur and Halfley have never directly worked together, they have some mutual connections. Halfley was the Browns defensive backs coach in 2014 and 15 under then-coach Mike Pettin, who was LaFleur's first defensive coordinator in Green Bay. Halfley worked under the 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan, one of LaFleur's mentors. Halfley was the 49ers defensive backs coach from 2016 to 18 before he became Ohio State's co-defensive coordinator. Now, that's Kyle Shanahan. They also completely missed out on the part where you know, again, he's like best friends with Sala, and they were working together. Now, I don't know how closely tied that paragraph is to longtime friend, but we've got longtime friend, and then basically an explanation of how they've been sort of acquaintances for many, many years. So maybe those are two completely different things. They 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 kind of have crossed paths and have been acquaintances, and also they're friends. But bro, dude, I got friends that I haven't talked to in years. <laughs> I don't know what qualifies as a friend. I still consider him friends. We just don't talk. 
They got Col- Hey, Baxter, if you're listening, bro, I still love you, man. I hope you're still hanging in there. Any other college friends that might be listening? Miss you guys. Good times and all that. We're all grown up. We have kids. We just don't talk. We, our entire connection back in the day was like we get drunk and we party. Then you get old and you have kids and it's like, what, what, do, we, what do we talk about now? Like, I don't freaking know. Like, should we get hammered right now? Like, I don't think so. I don't know. Should we like do adult stuff and talk about like repairing houses? Because I don't really want to do that. Like, no, nah, not really. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. The 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 the. Uh, never mind. Never mind. It's all good news. All good, baby. So the bottom line is the whole thing about them bringing people back. Although it's still possible, there is zero reports right now, like official reports coming from anywhere, in which they have talked about, hinted to, or otherwise. All right, um, shall we continue <laughs> with what we're, where do we leave off? So he was in Tampa, right? Working with Darrell Revis. 2014, he goes to Cleveland. Why? Well, like I said, Tampa Bay sucked. Greg Schiano was not getting the job done. They went down to 4-12. and 12. They sucked, so they hired Lovey Smith. Lovey took him to 2-14, and 14, so that didn't really work out. But Lovey Smith, what did he do? He cleaned house which means our boy Jeff Halfley got fired. Doesn't mean he sucks at his job necessarily. Maybe he does, I don't know. But everybody's out. So he gets picked up by Cleveland. This is where he gets some exposure with Mike Pettin. And again, it didn't work out here with Mike Pettin. It didn't even really work out in Cleveland. But Mike Pettin, let's be completely honest, is one of the like you know better defensive minds that has been out there. There's a lot of guys that just, they had their moment and they were just, they were really something special. And, and Mike Pettin was one of that. You know, that whole Rex Ryan defense, that was dominant. Mike Pettin was just the guy. That was also when Kyle Shanahan did a little stint over in Cleveland. So he was the offensive coordinator. So that's where they got to meet up. The defensive coordinator was Jim O'Neill. And Jim O'Neill basically followed along with Pettin. He was, you know, with the Jets as a DB coach. He followed Pettin over to Buffalo, was the linebacker guy. And then he got brought along over to Cleveland. The interesting thing also about Jim O'Neill is that when this whole thing fell apart, Shanahan went to San Francisco. Shanahan brought Jim O'Neill to be the defensive coordinator. So interestingly enough, San Francisco started off with a Petten style defense. But I mean, listen, this is where a lot of guy, a lot of guys know whether or not Matt LaFleur is really close with this guy or not, I don't know. Again, he probably knows a lot of the names on this list because they know. But think about how many close friends he had. First of all, he knows Mike Petten. He can talk to Mike Petten about him. He knows Kyle Shanahan. Guess who else was there? Mike LaFleur, his brother. His brother was the offensive intern for the Clevelands in 20 for, for the Clevelands for the Cleveland Browns in 2014. And again, he was the DB guy and, and it's cool because you know, he's not a necessarily a petting guy. I don't know what the overlap is, but he's just a guy that has a pretty solid reputation. And as far as I can tell, you got to remember, he's purely a college guy. And the only reason he went into the NFL ranks is because a college guy got hired into the NFL ranks and brought a bunch of college guys with him. So when they all got fired because it didn't work, a lot of them went back into college. But Halfley got poached to go to Cleveland. And interestingly enough, it wasn't like one of those, hey, we'll bring you on if you're interested as, you know, maybe like our cornerbacks coach, maybe assistant DB coach, something a little bit lower on the board. DB coach. So you get the entire backfield. You get our corners and our safeties. To have really no, and I'm I, again, there, there's so much internal, like everybody knows everybody through somebody. But there's no real deep connection with anybody in this whole crew, right? You got this Shanahan crew coming in. You got the Petten crew coming in. This is like a power. I mean, it's crazy that the team sucked because this is kind of like a clashing of a powerhouse crew here. I get Petten just not really a head coach material, I guess. 
But he just kind of got swept up in the middle of this, and I don't know how that happened, but what a cool situation for him. But anyways, uh, so he was there as the DB coach for them uh, 2014 and 2015. So in 2014, some names that you probably remember, actually. Uh, you've got uh, Kwan Williams, which very cool thing about that is he was with Cleveland in 2014 and 2015 and then followed over to San Francisco. By the way, if you didn't remember, Jeff Halfley also went to San Francisco. So when, when this whole Cleveland Brown things blew up, Patton got fired, Shanahan got hired over in San Francisco. He brought along the defensive coordinator and he brought Halfley with him. So this is two times in a row where a team's organization gets blown up because it sucks and Halfley gets grabbed by the guys that get salvaged. Right, so Shanahan is like the shining gem in this thing, and he gets promoted while Pettin's kind of headed in a different direction. And he grabs Halfley and is like, this guy's good, he's coming with us. To do what? Same job. I want you in charge of my DB. And he was there in San Francisco of 2016, 17, and 18. And so again, you got Kwan Williams, who's a really solid corner. He was in Cleveland for those two years, and then he got, he got brought along, uh, actually starting in 2017 over to San Francisco. He didn't play in 2016. You've also got Tashawn Gibson. Another guy that is a San Francisco guy as of right now. He didn't follow over there, but he will also be playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, this entire backfield is going to be Jeff Halfley, guys. I, I got to look at that, actually. Yeah, so Logan Ryan is a, is a backup safety, um, apparently, according to our lads, depending on how many they put out there. He'll probably play a little bit. But Deshaun Gibson also. So both of these guys were at one point or another Halfley guys, which is freaking hilarious. I wonder if any more were. I don't know. But Tashawn Gibson, another really good football player. Um, and interestingly enough, and, and, and again, hard to say whether it was just him or whatever, but his big breakout year, he was in Cleveland 2012, 13, 14, 15. His breakout year was 2014. That was when Jeff Halfley and the crew took over. Now, it kind of fell apart shortly after that, but, you know, let, let, let's put it this way. His second highest ever coverage grade was a 71.9. In 2014, it was an 80. It's like 50, 50, 80, 40, 40, 60, 70, 60, 60, 50, 60, 60. He had one really good year, and that was the first year with, you know, Halfley as his DB coach. And by the way, what do we know about Halfley? What's one of the big things with him? Takeaways. You want to know why he was graded so high? Six interceptions. Highest of his entire career. He's been here since 2012. He's still playing in the Super Bowl. He has one pick this year. He had six that year. Then you got a guy by the name of Dante Whitner. He had a uh, nickname as Hitner because he was a pretty violent uh, safety. But he was a solid football player for him. I mean, you just look at this backfield in 2014. Um, Pierre Desir, another name that you might remember. He had a 68 grade, so pretty solid. Joe Hayden, another very well-known guy, 71 PFF grade. Jordan Poyer, safety, 71.3 grade. Jim Leonard, ha! <laughs> I forgot about that whole thing. Jim Leonard is a Petten guy, but he started as a Petten um, safety. And he was also kind of like Whitner. He was known as being a real physical guy. So that's actually freaking hilarious. Jim Leonard was first an understudy under Petten, but really was an understudy under Jeff Halfley. That's freaking wild, man. I, I dig this stuff. And again, it's also part of the reason why when you hear somebody as a friend, listen, if they're hanging out every week at the bar, that's one thing. But if we're talking friend as in like they've crossed paths and they keep in touch... Dude, Matt LaFleur has a Rolodex of 700,000 people. Then we move on to 2015. A couple other interesting names that you might remember. Um, the assistant DB coach. So in other words, working under him, Aaron Glenn. You might know Aaron Glenn as a very popular Detroit Lions defensive coordinator right now. 
So he was assistant DB coach under Halfley, went on to be the DB coach for New Orleans, and then the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Also somewhat interesting, do you know who the defensive line coach was? Anthony Weaver. Anthony Weaver is the Baltimore Ravens defensive line slash assistant associate head coach for the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of people thinking he may become the next defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of people pegged him potentially for the uh, Packers job. Just very, very cool. And this is also why you talk about scheme in such a static way. It's like, man, you look at the Baltimore Ravens and how they do things, and you realize this guy kind of got his start under Pettin. You know, he was with the Jets and then the Bills and then Cleveland. Who do you think he's following around? Weaver's following around Pettin. Then he goes to the Texans and then the Ravens, and now he's a Ravens guy. And, and, but he still draws from some of that Pettin stuff. And so is Halfley. Maybe, maybe not entirely, but man, I, just the wealth of knowledge just to be around these guys. You know, again, Aaron Glenn, maybe not the most popular guy in Detroit at this time. Some of the Detroit Lions defensive stuff wasn't great, although he's very respected. But, um, you know, just to be able to, to first of all, you're the, he's the one that taught this guy. But to be able to, to work with him and understand that there's similar concepts and understandings coming from these guys. But yeah, in uh, 2015, guess who he got to work with? Our boy Tremont Williams, when he went over, remember that? He left and went to Cleveland, broke my heart. And I said, you know, our team is going to fall apart. Ha ha, Clinton Dix is going to go to zero if we lose Tremont. We can't lose Tremont. He goes over to Cleveland and works. There's so many guys. I'm just going to start reaching out to all of them and be like, just tell me about this guy. Again, Dante Hittner, Deshaun Gibson, Kwan Williams, Jordan Poyer, Pierre Desir, Joe Hayden. Man, what a group of DBs. Ibrahim Campbell. But after that, the whole Petten experiment went to zero. That entire crew got wiped out. And what happened? He got hired by the San Francisco 49ers. And actually, it wasn't... um, I forgot about that. Oh, my Lord. It was not Shanahan right away. I forgot Shanahan went back to Atlanta and and re-got back together with with Matt LaFleur. 2016 49ers was Chip Kelly. It was that whole debacle. They went 2-14. and Man, he had some bad luck, didn't he? Jeff Halfley, I mean, he went together with some guys that have some knowledge, but they just could not put a team together to save their lives. But uh, in 2016, he's over there, again, a DB coach, working with, let's see, his Cora guys. His safeties were Eric Reed and Antoine Bethea. His corners were Jimmy Ward, Tremaine Brock, and Jaquiski uh, Tart. Oh, wait, no, he's a safety, too. Rich, uh, Richard Robinson was, I guess, the third corner. Not a super well-known core of guys. Uh, but anyways, that was a disaster. He gets fired after one year. They bring in Kyle Shanahan. And again... Think about it. They didn't fire him. Shanahan's like, no, 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 no. That guy can stay. Everybody else is new. D'Amico Ryans comes in as a defensive quality control. Bobby Slowick is the defensive quality control also. You got Adam Stenovich, Jason Tarver, Mike LaFleur, Mike McDaniel. Oh, but that that Halfley guy, he, he, he can hang out. And again, it's one of those things too where it's like, I'm sure they interviewed. I'm sure they interviewed all the guys to see if they wanted to keep them. Most of them lost their job. Halfley didn't. And I'm sure having familiarity with Shanahan helped. But still, so the other thing is, too, you look at this, so the next year, things do get better. A lot of guys grade out better, but a lot of the guys that were already there grade out better. So Kwan Williams comes over, right? He plays really well. Jaquiski Tart in year two. And by the way, this is under Robert Sala. So now he's under the tutelage of Robert Sala. And again, working with Mike LaFleur, who is now the pass game coordinator slash wide receiver. He's getting a, a, a big upgrade. But, you know, Matt LaFleur's brother, Matt LaFleur's very good friend, Robert Sala. Matt LaFleur's very good friend, Kyle Sch- Like, this is his crew right here. Mike McDaniel, Adam Stenovich. But, for example, you look at Jaquiski Tart. He was not very good in 2016. Really took a big step that next year. 
Um, Akello Witherspoon graded out really well. Kwan Williams, as I said, and Adrian Colbert, another safety, graded out very well that year. 2018, same crew. They go 4-12. and 12. Things are not super great. But you do have Richard Sherman there. So, I mean, just another guy that he's worked with that, you know, he's worked with some great coaches. He's also worked with some great players. And Richard Sherman is no exception. Now, he was kind of on the back end of his career, but he was still the highest graded guy on the team that year. They really didn't do a great job with interceptions, but, you know, this is, this is a different defensive style. And what they're asking him to do might be entirely different. So anyways, after that, in 2018, he has an opportunity. He didn't get fired. He had an opportunity to be a co-defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach for Ohio State. And this is where I'm going to lean on JJ a little bit. He's been sending me some messages about this. So I want to kind of look at that. I'm just going to read them through. Hopefully, JJ, you didn't send me anything that you don't want me to say. <laughs> but first of all, it says he ran a 4-3. And I've seen a lot of people talk about that. Now, I do want to dig a little bit more into that. Because again, he's got a lot of influences from a lot of places. But at the same time, when you're the sort of co-defensive coordinator, the co makes it a little bit. What I would love to see is just when he runs the defense entirely, what does he do? He's been a defensive coordinator once and he was a co-defensive coordinator. What would his defense look like if he had control? Because I believe, and I think JJ even says that he he went to Boston College, but he didn't really run the defense. So I don't know, but I, it does sound like there's a good chance that we will be switching to a 4-3. I know a lot of people are excited about that. It makes me a little sad. Just I don't know why I've kind of grown accustomed to being a 3-4. I actually appreciate it more from a draft standpoint because it's like I feel like most, maybe it's changing, but you look at most of these guys, especially the um, the pass rushers, there, so many of them are down defensive ends, and it's like, well, I don't know, man. We're getting all these defensive ends trying to turn them into outside linebackers. kind of freaking annoying, but we'll see. We'll see. We're going to learn a lot about them. Um, JJ goes on to say, forget about the safety driven linebacker driven crap. This is about elite defensive ends and corners making each other better. He says, I believe you work for Patton, which is right. He did have a special linebacker role. He called a Viper, which I have heard of. We'll have to dig into that a little bit more. And I heard he took it to BC with him too. He says, one of the big things, and again, remember this is his one year as defensive coordinator in Ohio State. So there may be some variations based on the players we have and all that kind of stuff. We'll see how it goes. But it's still good to hear like how his thought process works and what he did at OSU. And as as JJ is going to go on to say, like that one year he was there, elite defense. Every year, like before and after that, really quite bad. But anyways, he goes on to say, one of the big things was he didn't ever want to run any nickel, even against a good passing offense. He really insisted on staying in base 4-3 a lot of the time during his time at OSU. At BC, they ran a lot more nickel, but again, he wasn't the defensive coordinator. Maybe you said that earlier. Oh yeah, I skipped a couple things. Let me let me go through here. So very first message is he says, holy crap, yes, yes I do. Oh my goodness, yes I do. This is a great hire. We were devastated when he left. He immediately got hired away to coach his alma mater. Very busy at the moment, da-da-da. Biggest thing to note is if you try to look into his BC days, he did not call or coordinate the defense. His defensive coordinator, Tem Lukabu, which is funny because we talked a lot about Tem Lukabu as a potential defensive coordinator option. But then he says, 2018 Buckeyes defense, worst you've ever seen. 2019 defense, best in the country. 2020 defense, horrible. So when he was there and ran things, it was a thing of beauty. All right, going back now. He says, I would say both places he liked to play really small, fast linebackers as the nickel if he needed one instead of a corner. Barry used Savage and Amos and even Jair in the exact same role as a star tasked with outside run gap assignments. Halfley likes to use a Tariq Carpenter type for it. What it's great against is RPO. If you want to look at his time at OSU, 
He had already accepted the BC job by uh, the Clemson playoff game, and a lot of people felt like he was very distracted leading up to that game by assembling his new coaching staff. Players were pissed he left. He had promised he wasn't going to BC. He was definitely praised as a great teacher. OSU defenders were very knowledgeable and disciplined that year, very assignment sure, and that goes back to what Richard Sherman said. Guys know what to do because he does, and his staff does, such a great job of preparation to make it easy for you. He says it all went to hell the year after when he left and the year before we had this elite passing offense that would hang 70 and still feel like they barely won. That 2018 defense that Halfley re, uh, resurrected in 19 was a real doozy. He was also a very fast riser. A lot of people were concerned when Ryan Day hired him because they thought it was likely he would only be there for one year. Ryan took the risk and it ended up biting him. Got offered the head coaching job at BC halfway through the season. Oh my Lord. You imagine being so good that you get offered a head coaching job halfway through the season? All right, so 2019, obviously we're talking about Ryan Day. And I think that the more positive thing is that I believe Ryan Day is, is an offensive guy, which means the defense, although again, he was a co-defensive coordinator, would have been entirely up to the defensive coordinators. It's not like the head coach's defense kind of implemented by the defense, you know, that whole thing. But yeah, that's when you look at the 2019 <laughs> DBs at Ohio State and granted, there's 17 of them that at least took a snap, but you know, one, two, three, four, five, six of them didn't even get to 10. A lot of these guys were freaking unbelievable. You'll probably recognize several of the names. Um, Marcus Hooker, really interesting thing about Marcus Hooker, and actually he he's still in college. I'm guessing he will be not after this year. He had one good year, and it was his rookie year in 2019 with Ohio State. He had a 73.6 grade, which is his highest a um, 82 tackling grade, which was his highest, a 77.6 coverage grade, which was his highest. He went downhill after that. He had two really bad years at Ohio State and transferred to um, Youngstown State, Youngstown State Penguins, and probably won't get drafted. Then you've got Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett got drafted at pick 19 overall by the Raiders. He had his best year at Ohio State that year in 2019. Now, he was solid in 2017 and 2018, again, just going off his grades, but that was his highest year in 2019, really impressed, and got him picked in the mid-first rounds by the Raiders. And again, very similarly, wasn't super successful. Now, he's, you know, a very distracted young man. He's got a rap career and gets arrested every 15 minutes or so. Eventually got let go completely in 2022 after being arrested again. Assault with a deadly weapon, carrying a concealed weapon without a permit and uh, two counts of possession of controlled substance in Las Vegas. You know, just basic stuff like that. You've got, um, who's this guy? Amir Reap, I think. I don't know. Very odd career. He played 2017, 18, 19. And then, I don't know, it says 2023 he played. It doesn't even say what school, though. I have no idea what's going on. But 2019 was the first time he actually played a significant amount of snaps, and he took a pretty big jump from 2018 to 2019. In 2017, he had a good grade, but he didn't play very much. But the bottom line is he played really well. Comes back in 2023, not as good. I don't know what happened. I don't care. It's not that important. <laughs> you look at Josh Proctor. This is another funny one. So Josh Proctor, if you look at it, he, he's had a pretty steady progression, right? 2018 was his rookie year. He didn't play very much. 60 grade, whatever. Let's just skip 2019. 2020 goes up to a 64. Then in 2021, his, I guess, technically year four, year three, whatever. He kind of takes his big jump. And then he's been good ever since. 75, 73, 78. This general climb, it all makes sense. But there's this one year that doesn't make any sense. That was Ohio State in 2019, which was his best year. 
78.3 and an 80.4 coverage grade. By far his best. I don't know about by far, but 74 was his best in 2023. You know, it's funny. Josh Proctor is in the draft this year. Josh Proctor is sitting at about pick 160 as a potential safety slash slot guy. And again, his best football, 2019. Seemed to work. Whatever whatever it was that our defensive coordinator liked to do, it seemed to work for uh, Mr. Josh Proctor. You know, funny enough, Josh Proctor is at the Senior Bowl. You know who else is at the Senior Bowl? Jake Schwenk, Jakey Boy, what's going on? Continuing, told you there's a lot of them. You also might remember a man by the name of Sean Wade. Sean Wade was also a very popular pick for a while. I thought, wasn't he like considered by some like a really talented like first or second round guy and then he fell to the fifth or something like that? I don't really remember. But not surprisingly, guess what? 2018, 19, and 2020 are the years in which he played, right? Okay, 2018, 65, 79, 67. This is, this is like exactly what JJ's talking about. 2018, 19, and 20. You want to see the difference? 65, it goes from like 65, 80, 65 is basically what, what the difference is. That was Sean Wade. Sean Wade, um, in 2018, he gave up 528 yards, two touchdowns, had three picks and six pass breakups, right? So 528 yards and two touchdowns. In 2019, he gave up 261 yards and one touchdown. And then in 2020, he gave up 500 yards and seven touchdowns. So the yardage given up as a corner, and and no, the, the numbers do not fluctuate. It's 517, 528, 520. It is almost exactly the same for three years. Yardage given up, 528, 261, 563. Touchdowns, 217. So, yeah, he was solid for that one year. Now, we've got another perfect example of this. Seven Banks. I remember his name. I don't know why. Uh, He must have been in the 2023 draft, I think. But uh, he spent four years at Ohio State, one year at LSU, and he really didn't play at LSU very much. Mostly it was like three years. But here, here, let me just read his grades all through the five years. Ready? You you can tell me which year was 2019. 62, 82, 55, 61, 68. Do, 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 do. You guessed it right. 2019 was his 82.3 PFF grade year. Boy, oh boy, this DB coach really gets the DBs in a good spot, doesn't he? When he's out there DBing. My goodness. I never, I mean, even with um, Zach Orr, which was impressive, but, you know, we're dealing with basically two guys in, in a small sample size, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, this is a, he's a bad football player. And in 2019, he, was, he had to be one of the best. I mean, he didn't play a ton of snaps, but still, he was dominant. It was, uh, he gave up in total. Again, it was 100 snaps in coverage, which is like a third of what he did the next year. But he gave up 20, uh, three receptions. So he was only three of nine. So only 33% reception rate, which was the best he's ever had. For 25 yards, that's it. Zero touchdowns and a pick. He's only had two picks in his career, two picks in five years, and one of them came that one year where he didn't play a million snaps. NFL passer rating. Ready? So so the two years he played kind of uh, a more legitimate schedule at Ohio State, 102.7 and 130.6. You know what it was in 2019? 2.8. 2.8 passer rating. But it turns out he wasn't very good, and he wasn't going to get drafted very high, so he transfers to LSU, doesn't play 
Don't know what happened. He's probably in the NFL swimming around somewhere. I have no idea. Then we've got Jordan Fuller. Jordan Fuller. And and this one looks more natural, but it's still the same thing. 65, 75, 76, 84. You guessed it. That was the year. He ended up getting drafted in the sixth round by the Rams that year in 2019. He gave up just 76 yards. How do you give up just 76? I don't even understand that. The year before, he gave up 346. And yeah, there was a little bit more, but okay, how about 2017? 427 coverage snaps compared to 426. Exactly the same. He gave up 248 yards in 2019, 76. How do you give up 76 yards? Dude, we got DBs giving up 100 yards in a game. How do you give up 76 in a season? How is that even a thing? Zero touchdowns, two picks, four inter- uh, four pass breakups, 44.4 passer rating. It's a lot of fours in that, but good Lord. Good Lord. And then the primo of them all, and maybe the biggest screw job <laughs> ever, Jeff Akuda. And I'm not trying to say he was a bad corner or whatever, but his first year, 65 PFF grade. His second year was a 72. His third year at Ohio State, it was an 83. So that was his one like elite year. So he had an 83 PFF grade, 86 coverage grade. So he played 400 snaps, so obviously starting guy. He gave up 23 receptions for 274 yards, one touchdown, three picks, nine pass breakups, 42.5 passer rating. The thing that's crazy is he went number three overall to the Detroit Lions. Obviously, that didn't work out. They ended up letting him go to the Falcons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, If he would have played in 2020, I can almost guarantee you his grades would have gone down. It probably would have just gone down to like a 73 or something, but it would not have been the same thing. They would have been talking about like he's not the same guy. He would have got drafted probably maybe in the first round, but it wouldn't have been number three. Maybe he goes back of the first round or something. Somebody's taking a swing on a guy that showed a lot of potential in 2019. But the fact that you've got a guy that played so well for a year, the one year this guy's there, he gets picked third overall and it turns out It was all fake. Everybody that dominated that year that stayed in college, that's what happened. That's the best description I can give you. That's what happened. All right, so then after that, he goes off to Boston College. Now, this is, as much as it's like the apex of his career, until now, obviously, but still, it's like he's the head coach, not really from a defensive standpoint, and he's not really running the defense as much as the defensive coordinator is, so... I guess maybe the only other thing of interest, um, keep an eye on Boston College guys, particularly defense. I mean, he might push, you know, you got Christian Mahogany, interior offensive lineman at Boston College, but I, you know, I'm thinking more about guys like Elijah Jones, the cornerback for Boston College. Now, we're talking probably undrafted free agent, but I'm just saying. But anyways, I think we've exhausted it. I had no idea we're an hour and 20 into this freaking thing. Um, Let me just real quick do a roundup. A couple of the little news and notesy things. It does sound like... um, Halfley was probably on the way out. Uh, Boston College was kind of falling apart, and the contract situation was a disaster. There would have been a big buyout. So I don't know if there was maybe some kind of mutually agreed upon thing in which, you know, he didn't have a career at Boston College, and so he looked for an opportunity, and, and it just kind of worked out. Now, that, that does work to our advantage a little bit, because he tried the head coaching thing, even in college, and it was a disaster. So what are the odds that if things go really well in Green Bay— when the coaching thing fires up, I'm sure he's going to get some calls and some interest, but do they really want a guy that is a massively failed head coach? So here's another couple uh, observations. This is from Ken Ingles. He says, Packers fans can expect to see a lot more in 2024. 
hands-on-the-ground four-man defensive fronts, press man cornerback coverage, roaming center free safeties, roaming center field free safeties. Basically the complete opposite of what we've been used to. So there you go. Green and Gold Draft quote tweeted that and said, um, basically completely disagreed, (laughs) said based on what, they didn't play that at BC in their bowl games last month. But I won't elaborate on it because again, it sounds like Boston College was not necessarily his defense. Here is something from Paul Brettel he pulled out of The Athletic. There's so much stuff. We're going to have to end this at some point, and I'll just do a, another roundup. I just I don't want to stop, so let me at least... let me at least You can help me close my tabs for me. Paul Brettel says, With Halfley as the co-DC at Ohio State in 2019, the Buckeyes ranked first in yards per play allowed. A big point of emphasis for Halfley was on tackling. A quote from his 2019 Bruce Feldman article via The Athletic. Here's what the snippet says. We don't just talk about running the ball, he said. To me, the most important thing about tackling is the approach. I get up in front of the whole team, and Ryan had me talking about tackling in front of the whole team. Ryan Day. I think people spend way too much time just talking about the finish and driving your legs and wrapping up, but people put themselves in such bad positions where they're not even close to being in a position to make the play. Everything we do, we just talk about tackling and the angle and the approach and getting yourself in the best position to actually get yourself having a fighting chance to make a tackle. Whether we're doing a live period or not, we talk about that on every single play. Here's something from uh, Katie Sunderman on social media. She said this is basically some information from a friend. And I don't think it's JJ. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it. It says he's a fantastic football coach. He only stayed at OSU for one year because he brought our defense from ranked in the 50s to ranked in the top 10 within that one year. He's extremely impressive in interviews. And I remember thinking during his first press conference that he wouldn't be around long because he was destined for something bigger, which is something that... JJ mentioned a lot of people were saying, like, this dude is too good. He's not going to stay. Goes on to say, technically, as a coach, he is as great. Uh, he is great as at getting his best players in position to make plays. His one year at OSU was, was the most aggressive our defense has been in the past decade. I'm, I can't wait to go back. And I think that is what we need to watch is OSU, not Boston College or even some of this other stuff. Go watch that one year. That'll give you a better idea. Goes on to say he may have been aided in doing that because it was the Chase Young made it to the Heisman ceremony. It was the year that Chase Young made it. The, but also, who's to say it wasn't Halfley putting Young in those situations to thrive? Overall, I think the Packers got a great one. I'd gladly take him back as the Broncos DC if I got to make the decisions. Okay, so there you go. It's a Broncos person, apparently. Uh, there's another video that is a full hour, but I don't think I want to do that. But here is a... Um, Here's one minute and 22 seconds. I think this is just a little snippet from that video talking about Halfley's scheme. You mentioned your, uh, you know, kind of what you believe in on defense. What, what is that? If someone says, what is the Coach Halfley defense, what, how do you describe it? We've been more middle-closed defense with a safety in the middle of the field than probably most people in college football. So right off the bat, you know, that is very counter to not just Joe Barry, because obviously that's very counter to Joe Barry, it's counter to a lot of what the NFL has done, right? Single safety in the middle of the field as opposed to too high. All, we, all we've all we heard for a long time is too high, too high, too high, too high. So right off the bat, first thing out of his mouth, it's like, oh, that's that's different. Oh, yeah. Um, most people are some type of too high quarter space, and I get it for the quarterback run game. So we've had to kind of trend in that direction as well. But I've, I've done a lot. I've done a lot, at least a starting point with the middle close with four down linemen. Um, very similar. We did in San Francisco and Ohio State. And a lot of people doing in the NFL. Um, but I've started to adapt and create different one high shells, which really play like two high shells and get extra guys in the box. Yeah. You just got to stop the quarterback run game. So it's yeah. a different. It's almost when I talk to my friends in the NFL and we talk defense together, 
it's almost a different game. Yeah. I mean, because the quarterback in the NFL, they're going to run it in big moments or in the red zone or on third down yeah. or in a championship game, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't do that week in and week out. Yeah. And you got to account for an extra guy. Yeah. So you got to change. Yeah. Um, and those are, and then you can go, I, I joke sometimes, unbalanced. It's, you can't do that in the NFL. It's like yeah. we're defending unbalanced formations. There's a field and a boundary. Yeah. In college football, where in the NFL the ball's in the middle of the field the whole game, yeah. it's a different game. Yeah, um, and it's been fun to to follow it. Yeah, uh, well, you mentioned that you mentioned the hash marks. What, what's so that's it ends there. But I'll I'll dive into that full video and see what else there is to glean from it. But another kind of interesting thing about that is is the fact that he's very overtly saying that not only has he just been adjusting over time um, away from what he did in the past, just generally, you know, this is Boston College. But he's very explicitly saying the NFL is very different. So you can't do the same stuff as you did in college. So, you know, and and that's where it's kind of good and bad. On one hand, it's bad because it's like you can't just copy paste what he did at Ohio State and now we're great because it's going to fail. Like it's not going to work in the NFL. But what you're trusting is the guy that innovated that, the guy that was given control of the defense and built what needed to happen and made it work can do the same thing here. And, And the fact that that's what he's articulating the fact that he understands the ideas and the differences and the problems, and not just saying I'm going to go do something completely different, but to say, you know, essentially, and 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 again, he's got he's done. It's not like he's just a college guy. He he was spent a lot of time in the NFL. It was college and then NFL and college, but he spent a lot of time with some really good. I mean, years under guys like you know Sala and Petten and whatnot. Um, but what what you're hoping for is his ability to adapt to take the the core principles that he believes in but find ways to build it so that it works with an NFL game, which is different than, you know, Ohio State going up against freaking, I don't know, Northwestern or something stupid. I don't know, who cares? But again, all things must come to an end. Hour and a half, I think we're pushing it. But I mean, we've got articles here, how Jeff Halfley, uh, I'm never going to get his name right, Haley and Harley, how Jeff Halfley used the NFL experience to get Ohio State's cornerbacks to buy into his scheme. That was August 21st, 2019. So we got articles galore. I can't wait to dig back into that. We'll do more of this. Um, well, it won't be tomorrow. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to release this as a breaking news podcast. I'm not going to do a whole other podcast for tomorrow. So I'm just pre-releasing tomorrow's podcast. So tomorrow, no podcast, unless you're listening to this tomorrow, just so we're clear. But I will talk to you whenever I talk to you and uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>